Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to another episode of the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is our weekly USC internet radio show talking all about USC football. This week on the podcast, we're going to look back at that big win over Notre Dame, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and look ahead to what could be a Rose Bowl bid if USC can take care of business against UCLA and Pasadena on Saturday. As always, if you have any questions or comments, just drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. In our first segment, as always, we are joined by the coach. Everyone loves to hear what he has to say. Coach Harvey Hyde, what's up today, coach? Well, Ryan, I'm doing pretty good. I got my Christmas lights up. We've got UCS, the USC-UCLA game. Uh, and if the Trojans can uh, beat the Bruins, and of course they're in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl, which is the granddaddy of all the bowl games. So, you know, we're looking forward to this big uh, game this weekend, all of us, and we'll see what happens. Can the Bruins pull it off? I don't think so, okay? But let's talk about it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, before we get to that, I just want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Give them a call, one 800 888 7287 if you need tickets for concerts, sporting events at the theater, and of course, the game on Saturday against UCLA. Just give them a call over there at SC Tickets or you know, check out sctickets.com. I'll tell you, they're the best. If you need UCLA tickets for this weekend and SC tickets, get them. And remember, they handle Rose Bowl tickets too. So if you don't have that opportunity to buy them from the universities or however you get them, call Southern California Ticket Service and they'll put you. Right next to me. How's that? That would be that's the seat I would like to get, Coach. How do I get one of those? I don't know. Well, yeah. I don't know. We'll see what Southern, <laughs> Southern California Ticket Service says about it. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, I, I did the same thing with the Christmas lights. Uh, you know, figure up, finish up all that Thanksgiving stuff. My girlfriend's like, we have to put up the tree and the lights. I'm like, already? But yeah, I guess it, that's what you got to do. So I got the Christmas lights up and all that stuff going on now. So is it? You feel very festive now, Coach? I really am. I, I really think it's the best part, time of the year. Really, look when you look at the championship weekend coming up, the rivalry game here in Los Angeles. You've got all the lights up in the neighborhood. You've got all the bowl games ready to be announced, and we'll find out who's going where and what and so on. And then we get the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl and college basketball. Hey, how can it get be- get any better? I, I don't know how it gets any better. I know it's pretty tough to to get better than this, Coach, and. uh it's pretty tough to get better than what happened last weekend for Trojan fans. I mean, when I was in school, USC was going through these horrible times against Notre Dame. They just couldn't beat them no matter what happened, no matter who had the better team. I don't know if some of the students now or some of the younger alumni can appreciate you know, what it's like to lose to your rival year after year after year. But now it's the other, you know, the shoes on the other foot here. Notre Dame's lost seven in a row. The seniors went out with a... A really nice tribute there on the Coliseum floor. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you've played against rivalry games, Coach. I mean, I, I guess you can get a little complacent here, but winning that many in a row against your rivals is never an easy thing to do. It's not easy. It's not easy to do what the Trojans have done this year. Can you imagine in two years, Notre Dame has scored only three points on USC? I mean, you can go on Ouch. and on and on and on about 
statistics and so on, but to be able to win seven in a row is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I'd like to see Notre Dame improve their football program. I'd like to see it be a, a better rivalry. Uh, because really, when it's complete dominance like that, believe me, uh, intimidation, and I can see how that all happens. Uh, really, when they start looking at the USC films uh, on defense and so on, and they say, wow. And then when you see it in live, uh, <laughs> live color and coming at you in the real size, not a video size, you sort of get intimidated and, Sort of saw that happen to the, the Notre Dame offense this past weekend. And, uh, you know, that defense is just awesome, giving up, what, 86 points, only 10 touchdowns so far this year. People are kind of trying to say it's the best defense, or not trying to say, com- try, or comparing it with possibly other defenses is the best defense in the history of college football. You know, that's pretty darn good. And uh, these guys fly around and play it, and they have fun, and, Offense didn't have the type of game I thought they might have as far as how they finished up the Stanford game with the momentum and running the football and so on. And uh, that game could have been a 60 to nothing. It could have been 60 to nothing with the dominance of the defense. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, the defense carried the day. And I, I had a question, a coaching question for you, Coach, on that aspect. When Charlie Weiss came in, it, you know, it was announced that he's going to be back for another year, so he'll have another chance to turn this team around. You know, he talked about the schematic advantage and all of this and, uh, you know, brought in some top 10 recruiting classes. But his offense, I mean, to not – I don't remember a game where uh, you go 45 minutes without a first down. I mean, that's pretty I, – I, you can be dominated by, you know, personnel-wise, schematic-wise, but, man, not to even get a first down. I mean, by a penalty, nothing for 45 minutes. They didn't get one until the very last play in the third quarter – do you, to, I mean, can you describe schematically, Coach, if you were ever coaching against a team that you were completely outmanned, uh, and I'm not sure if that was the case. I mean, it looked like it was the case on Saturday, but you know, just for the benefit of the doubt, say Notre Dame was outmanned, there's still ways you can – I mean, it's not impossible to, to get first downs or to, to put something together where you can actually you know, make some positive yards and, and, and have some positive drives – I mean, do you see that as a coach? Like, is there ways you know you can still schematically figure things out to to get a little bit of positive momentum going? Well, 91 yards total offense, four first downs, and I believe one of those first downs or two of those first downs were by penalties. I'm not sure how. But uh, I don't know. Um, You know, and it's it's hard for me to understand, really. Uh, The offensive linemen, you know, are completely dominated. They're big and strong, but they aren't very quick or athletic. Uh, you know, and, and the, the battles are won in the trenches. I mean, that's where you have a great football team and you don't is, is right there in the offense and defensive lines. And, and obviously Notre Dame doesn't have that. They can't protect Clawson. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to Kevin Kraft. I mean, uh, I would come down with the flu if I was him. <laughs> I, 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 I really would. I would come down Saturday morning to have my pregame meal and I'd say, Coach, I'm sick to my stomach or, or something because – I don't see how or what they can do to block the Trojans if the Trojans really decide to go after UCLA. I mean, because he can't throw well on the run, and they're going to have to roll him out, uh, and and they're going to play football on their side of the line of scrimmage this week. And I know we weren't talking about UCLA, but that's what happened at Notre Dame. Clawson was completely intimidated before we got started. And And he's a nice young man, and and so on, but he went down there, started as a freshman, hasn't experienced much success, hasn't experienced much success this year. He has, but against who? Uh, 
and it's tough to be positive. And when things go bad for you, they just go worse because you, you really look out there and, and, and you looked at Charlie Weiss. If you looked at his face, you could see the humiliation. You could see that he just wanted to come out of there alive. He didn't want to bring any body bags on the field. I mean, he was worried about the safety of his team, himself, and everything else because of the type of beating he was getting. I once coached a team at Pasadena City College when we were, when I was there, and we were up like 50 to nothing at halftime against this, this junior college. And I remember the coach going to the officials and saying, would you please talk, talk to Coach Hyde and see if maybe the second half we can just have running time? Uh, I'll concede the game, but I don't want any of my kids to get hurt. Uh, we won't be able to play the rest of our season. So we did agree on that, and really nobody really noticed it. Nobody really noticed it because they were talking, the game was out of sight and so on, so we just let the clock run. The clock never stopped in wow. the second half. <laughs> and. You know, and, and people didn't complain about it because it was, you know, it was that type of game and so on. And I don't even think it was, maybe it made the newspaper. I'm not sure. But, you know, that, if Charlie Weiss could have done that yeah, and it was legal, he would have said, hey, let's just let the clock run out. Because he knew there was no way. And, you know, I've seen the Trojans play every single game this year. You have too. There was never a doubt in my mind on Saturday at any time during that game that USC was going to win that game. Now, there were other games this year. I had that doubt. Arizona, I can go through them all. But I'm telling you, against Notre Dame, there was no doubt in my mind at any time there was a threat of them losing. Uh, and, and that's you know that, that's not good for college football, especially when you're Notre Dame and you've got this great, rich tradition and, you know, I, I sort of think they're getting, giving him another year. But when you look at the schedule that they have next year, they play the same Big Ten teams they always play, which is Michigan, who went 3-9. and nine, So that's really, you know, we'll see what happens with, with their program. They have Washington again. They'll have them at South Bend. They didn't win a game. They'll have a new coach. And they picked up Washington State. Ooh. <laughs> so, so when you look at their schedule, they're, they're hoping by giving Charlie Wise another year. And I, and I don't know if you've looked this up, but I looked it up because I want to know, you know, if they'd have had some other teams. And, they, of course, they have SC. But when you look at their schedule, you know, you've got a chance to win seven, eight, nine games. You really do. And improve your program and justify keeping Charlie Wise. And I'm not saying – you should fire Charlie Wise. I'm just saying there's got to be improvement in your program so that NBC, so that the alumni, the student body, the people that contribute to Notre Dame have a little pride in when they come into the game. I tell you, at the game, how many people did you see actually wearing Notre Dame sweatshirts, Notre Dame hats? And you know how many millions of dollars are generated on that type of uh, merchandising by Notre Dame? You know how many millions? Of dollars? I'll bet you they've dropped off. I bet they're at fifty percent of what they used to be. You know that? I'm sure you're right, Coach. And it's it's different now. I mean, than five six years ago when things were closer and USC was still winning. I think it was actually even more fun for the, a lot of the fans. And you can say the same thing about UCLA, but they you know UCLA changed things two years ago when they actually upset USC. But when the every rivalry game is a you know twenty thirty point spread and it should be a blowout, anything else is uh, you know unexpected. 
it, it takes a little bit out of the rivalry. So I think you're right. I mean, USC would needs Notre Dame to at least be decent again. You know, it would have been a lot better for them, even in the BCS, if they Notre Dame came into this game with an eight or nine win slate going, and then, you know, it would make it a little bit more of a marquee matchup. But otherwise, yeah, they took it off ABC, moved it to ESPN, and, you know, Notre Dame was a six-win team, and now they're a six-and-six and might sneak into a bowl game or whatever. It's just not the same when both teams aren't, you know, in the elite area. Let me ask you, if you were the Notre Dame athletic director or whoever's in charge there, you never know, would you accept a bowl bid if you were Notre Dame? Uh, I mean, we talked about this last week. I think I would. I know you you don't really feel that way because you don't want to get embarrassed again. But I I, I, I guess getting that more practice in and, and giving a chance, giving yourself a chance to beat maybe what would be a mediocre team. Don't See take who? Well, who don't take a bowl be? Don't take a bowl bid against a TCU that's that is an elite program. I mean, you want to take a bowl bid against someone that's like a Maryland or that you could definitely lose to, but it would also be nice momentum if you could beat. That's true. I told you last week who they could pick up. Maybe Redlands would play them. Red- <laughs> but that's you know I went to Redlands, you know, and they, they need the money. But but uh, but the problem is Notre Dame always goes to bowl games that are above their head because. You know, they would get into the BCS and get sh- shellacked by somebody that because they shouldn't have been there to begin with. They're just there because they're Notre Dame. So it maybe if they s- at six and six, maybe they will just get into a bowl that's that's a crappy bowl. That that they should be at a crappy bowl. They should go to a crappy bowl, and then you play a crappy team and you could possibly win. Except for the days of practice, okay? That you get extra. I wouldn't go to a bowl game. I wouldn't go to a bowl game. Was I'm not blaming anyone, but I don't, I think. I expect more from a Notre Dame program, and I'd let people know, players, coaches, and everyone, hey, we expect more than this. We give you everything. You have everything. We're an elite program to go, and if you're loose again, when's the last time Notre Dame, I don't have a computer in front of me or anything, when's the last time Notre Dame won a bowl game? Do you know? I think it was 92 or 93 or something like that. Can you believe that? Yeah, I don't, you know. For the elite program that if you look on, now you do recruiting lists. In fact, following our segment, normally you have recruiters on that talk about recruiting polls and so on. Yes. Over the last two or three years, have they been ever ranked below five or ten or whatever in the recruiting polls? Yeah, they've had top ten classes each year, last oh, couple oh, yeah. years. Well, well, then what's the deal? <laughs> well, it was Willingham's fault to start. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. And I, I, I think this happens to a lot of the elite schools where – if if Pete Carroll offers somebody, they might get bumped up. You know, they might be a three star guy, but oh, Pete Carroll wants him. He's a four star guy. I think that happens somewhat. You know, and not all the time, but I mean, I think little things like that happen. Maybe it happens a little bit more with Notre Dame. I'm not sure, but the, I think there's definitely some players that were over. I mean, their offensive line coach. I think that the seven deep are all four stars and one five star guy. Uh, Sam Young, the guy that USC was actually after pretty hard. And uh, they're you know they're not really playing like a, a bunch of four and five star guys, so I, I think that does happen sometimes where you get yeah. But, what, but then what I'd rather be is a coach that gets all one stars, and then then they say I'm a great coach. Boy, what a great coach right. he is! He won six games with all one stars or no stars. So you know you know you got to evaluate your players yourself. You don't you don't look at these services and decide who you're going to recruit. You've got to evaluate and forecast the. Uh, on what these players are going to be and build an offense around what you have or defense so that you can be successful. And I think that's what the key is at, at a lot of schools. You just can't take your system and say, okay, here I am, you're going to run this system if you don't have the players to run that system. I think that is demonstrated by 
the University of Michigan, Michigan this year. Ter- yeah, completely. That's uh... completely. I mean, here's a team that. Let me ask you that same question. When has Michigan been below ten ever in the recruiting class? Yeah, I, don't, I haven't looked at their rankings, but I think they're pretty up there. Usually, fairly uh, high in those rankings. Certainly, they are, and uh, they have great players. In fact, if you remember correctly, last year they beat Florida in a bowl game. Big upset, but that was a good one. That was. Oh yeah. Big well, upset, but they had some players. Well, they we'll see what happens with uh, Notre Dame next year, and uh, USC will try to go for eight in a row, the two presidential terms. I think uh, a lot of the fans would enjoy that, making the trip back to South Bend. Let's look ahead uh, briefly to UCLA. You talked about Kevin Kraft a little bit. He seems like a turnover factory. This does not look like the kind of team that would be capable of upsetting uh, an SC. And, you know, I know two years ago it didn't look the same way, but they just, you know, they played good defense and they, Kept they took care of the ball. This doesn't look like a, a UCLA team. They can play good defense, but I'm not sure they can take care of the ball. Well, let me tell you, this might be the first time in USC history that the defense outscores the offense. <laughs> I mean, you're laughing. Look what Arizona State did. Four touchdowns on defense. No, no, no really. And and I'll tell you, they Arizona should have had State another one. They almost had a. a it was either going to be a touchdown or a safety. In, in UCLA's end zone, and the guy fumbled it out of the end zone and recovered it to one. Otherwise, they would have scored again. <laughs> That's crazy. The defense. That's exactly what I'm saying. And let me tell you, if you're a UCLA fan, I want to tell you something. First of all, I think Rick Neuheisel's the best. I think the staff's the best, and Dwayne Walker and Norm Chow. I'll tell you, they are absolutely fabulous coaches, all those coaches that are on that staff. So in no way am I trying to humiliate the kids or the coaches when I say that. I'm just saying the difference in the mismatch of player personnel and what the Trojans are defensively compared to what the offensive is for offensive side of the football for UCLA. And Kevin Kraft, I would never make fun of that kid. I think that kid should get be flown to Washington, D.C. at the end of the season, go to the president and get the Medal of Honor. I, I really do. I think he should go back there and get 10 Purple Hearts. How many games did they play? 12? 12 <laughs> Purple Hearts. Because... That kid got up every single play, even when he's hurt. I mean, comes to the sideline. Sure, he throws interceptions. I'll tell you. But, man, he can't, like, he can't function. He can't run. They can't run the ball with a lick, and that's nobody's fault. They're just outmanned. They, they're forced to pass the ball, so you go after him. He has no time to make a read. They drop some of his passes. So you know, really, they're on the they're on the road to recovering and 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 so recovery as far as recruiting and so on. And it's going to take it's going to take a, some time. It's going to take four or five years for New Heisel to get his program up where he can play the Trojans. It just takes that long in football. It's not like basketball where you get two or three players and you turn it around. In football, it takes a lot of players and a lot of maturity to turn it around. So, you know, I just, uh, this this game on Saturday, I, well, I don't know what the number is, but they asked me on the show on Sunday that I do, Trojan Brunch, what I thought the number should be, and I said 45. But it isn't. It's 32, I guess, today or whatever. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's I've never seen it be more one-sided in my life, the rivalry game, than this. I don't know what the odds have ever been. But I, I don't think it's ever been this number. It's, ever. it's it's pretty bad. I don't know. We'd have to look up and see. I know last week Notre Dame's never been that big of an underdog. And uh, you know, if you look at the one side of the ball, 
like you said, you know, USC got some points uh, last week against Notre Dame, but a lot of it was kind of handed to them, given up, and you know, the Notre Dame turned the ball over and stuff. They didn't start the offense didn't start off all that great um, in that game. Then they kind of got it going more in the second half. You know, the UCLA defense played really well against Arizona State. They didn't give up any offensive touchdowns. I don't think maybe they gave up one at the end or something. I mean, I could see the UCLA defense giving this USC offense fits yet again, but it's just so hard to picture that UCLA offense doing much of anything on this USC defense. And maybe if they get, you know, a bunch of turnovers and positive territory or something. But I wanted to get your take on uh, Kraft. You talked about him. And Neuheisel has kind of taken a little bit of heat because he he's yelling at, at Kraft quite a bit. You know, and this is your fourth-string quarterback or whatever. He's been forced into action. What do you think the way, you know, the, the tough love it seems like Neuheisel is giving Kraft? Well, I, I don't know what he's saying. He's probably yelling out, I love you, I love you. Thank <laughs> yeah, you for it, getting up. It. So, you know, I can't say he's yelling at him. He's just flustered, you know what I mean? And and Kraft's trying to tell, tell him back, stop the bleeding, stop the bleeding. Apply pressure to my arm or my shoulder or whatever it is. But, it, it, it you know, it's not personal. It's it's just frustrating to, 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 to see that happen to you and fall apart and 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 have the crowd up there watching that happen. And so not the kid's fault, and he knows that. You've heard him come back and say he's the greatest kid around. And, you know, the way it goes right now, I, he's going to be the starter next year. If they have somebody that's red-treating that's so great, why aren't they playing him? <laughs> or who's coming in? So, you know, what I'm saying, uh, I think he'll be the starter next year, too. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know about that, but I'll tell you, Dwayne Walker's a great defensive coach. And then I'll tell you, he will slow down USC's offense, except they'll be on the field the whole day. Because he will take away their formation tendencies. He will take away, he will break it down, who's in the game and what plays they run and so on, exactly how they did two years ago. He will do. In fact, last year, I think the score was 24-7, something like that. And they did the same thing defensively. They beat on Kraft the entire game. No, not Kraft. Who was the quarterback last year? They beat on him the entire game. Uh, but, you know, he is, he's a heck of an X and O guy. And he will, he will defense USC's offense unless USC's offense decides to do something, you know, that is a little different than what they've been doing. So it may not be that highest scoring game, but it will turn into it because of the defense pounding on the offense of UCLA and creating turnovers where, you know, you're going to score on defense, you're going to get the ball fumbles, you're going to give the offense field position. Then eventually the defense of UCLA will just get worn down. They'll just wear them down where they can't stay on the field the entire game, and and then uh, then SC will will conquer them. But uh, uh, Walker does a hell of a job, and I'm gonna tell you he's a hell of a coach, and he's up for some head coaching positions. And and uh, if he does leave UCLA, that's going to be a great big loss for New Heisel, especially with his, you know with the growth of his program. Yeah, he really keeps it together over there. <clears throat> Excuse me, Coach. All right, well, that's all the time we have for this segment. Thank you. Oh, I want to keep going. You want to? We can do it. We can. Uh... It's big rivalry weekend. My gosh, what are we doing here? It is a rivalry weekend. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun, Coach. And uh, it... where, where are you going to? Are you going to go to the game? Well, you know, uh, I want to go to the game. Uh, but, you know, I have to do the pregame show. What's going to happen to me? I have to do the pregame show, show in the studio. So by the time I get from the studio to the game, I don't know if I'll get in the game till the first or second quarter because I've got 
parking passes and stuff, but I don't know if I can get in. I'm going to try to do it. Depending on how the traffic is, I'm going to try to get to the game. I really do want to get to the game and, and be a part of that. I, I love that. And if I can get down on the sideline, I love to work the sideline on this game. I don't get on the sideline. I don't want to get on the sideline for any game except for this game where I spend a little bit on each side watching the coaches work and listening to them, what they're saying to the players and the feeling of the players. I like to feel that momentum. I did it the first game of the year and the second game of the year at UCLA, uh, Tennessee, and UCLA, Fresno State when SC was on the road or they didn't have a conflict. I like to really watch the coaches work and see how they, their bench discipline is. So uh, if I can, I'll try to do that on Saturday. Well, that'd be great. If you can do that, Coach, we'd love to hear about it next week on the podcast after uh, the regular season is over. That's right, and we go year-round with this. So for all of our listeners out there, we want you to know you can catch a little bit of everything. We talk recruiting. We talk everything here. And, uh, Ryan, I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, you allowed me to be a part of your uh, of your every website network and the whole package well thank you coach for coming on we always appreciate your insight we will talk to you again next week thank you very much and uh, have a great uh, game and for all of you out there drive carefully always buckle up and we'll talk to you next week excellent everyone else we'll be back a quick break and we're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer dan wikey stay tuned the parastyle podcast will be back after this short break Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back, Trojan fans. It's the Parastyle Podcast, and we have in this segment of the show, he's been off the podcast for a couple of weeks, and I got so many emails saying, where's Dan Wykey? Where's Dan Wykey? So we bring him back. Dan Wykey, USAFootball.com, beat writer. Welcome to the show, Dan. Oh, it feels so great to be back, Ryan. I missed you so much. Uh, and I'm sure we missed you as well. I mean, we, I feel bad bumping you for some big-name guests, but no yeah, one else right? could do it this week, so we got you back. No, I'm just kidding. We, Dad actually had some, <laughs> some good breaking news this week. A couple of, couple of his stories made the front page of Yahoo.com, which is uh, pretty nice. So first one up, uh, the old tradition, Dan, USC wearing Cardinal jerseys, UCLA wearing their blue jerseys. Pete Carroll's going to bring that back. Give us the details. What's going on there? Okay. This is, I think is a really interesting story because I couldn't have felt different about it. Um, yesterday, Tuesday than I did on Monday. Okay. So Monday when I first hear about this and the news first breaks, um, Pete Carroll was going to have the team wear Cardinal and it was going to cost them a timeout at the start of each half. And I understand the value in tradition. I, I, you know, I love tradition. 
Um, one of my favorite things, I mean, you know, just growing up as a college football fan, like I love, I love rivalry games. I love all the, all the, the pageantry and all that stuff that goes along with it. But to give up timeouts at the start of each half, I thought was a, 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 just a really big sign of bravado, saying kind of, you know, that that was more important than have, using all tools at your disposal to win. It was kind of how I read into it. I mean, even though he said that that wasn't the case, I mean, that's still what it looked like to me. Well, then, yesterday, um, an email gets sent out. Um, Rogers Redding, who is the um, head of the SEC uh, officials and also on the rules committee for the NCAA, um, they reinterpreted the rule, and the rule actually now is, is that it will cost USC a, a timeout at the start of the game, and that is it. And UCLA is also uh, has agreed to take a timeout, meaning that the playing field is essentially level. Both teams will have two timeouts in the first half and three in the second half to do this tradition. Hopefully, either the rule will get changed, or when UCLA comes back next year, P. Carroll will take his timeout at the start of the game, but UCLA is charged a timeout. The idea being that, that P. Carroll wants to breathe some life into this tradition, wants to restart it, and to him, it's important, um, and I think it's important to fans, obviously. Fans um, on our message board didn't seem to mind that you know USC was giving up two timeouts. I think probably part of that had to do with the fact that they're almost five touchdown favorites. <laughs> but, yeah. But I mean, but even still, I mean, I mean, to me, that was just still kind of one of those things where I mean, you know, I know some people reacted like it was a slap in the face to UCLA. I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't go that far, but I did think that there was a little bravado in that, and a little, a little bit of arrogance in saying that we don't need to use all our disposal, everything that's at our disposal to win. Yeah, and uh, and Pete Carroll's been wanting to do this since he came to USC, and the coaches at UCLA really weren't all that into it. And uh, Carl Durrell especially didn't seem to be, you know, he's not much of a uh, personality guy when he was at UCLA. So it really wasn't something that concerned him, but Rick Neuheisel gets it. You know, he knows he's like Pete Carroll in that sense where this is going to be fun for people. This is going to make it look better on TV. This is going to be something that people are going to talk about. And I think Rick Neuheisel bought into it right away. You know, they'll, they'll each take their time out. You know, USC will be a penalty. Rick Neuheisel will take his voluntarily. And then next year, if they don't change the rules, same kind of thing. You know, Rick Neuheisel would get assessed the penalty, and Pete Carroll would call a timeout just to even the field. And mm-hmm. for the fans that, that didn't know, back in the day, before UCLA played at the Rose Bowl, I think I can't remember. I think it was like 1982. I should look this up. But um, yeah, 82 was the last time they did it, and I believe that was the first year. I like this is just speculation on my part. I believe that was the first year that they played in the Rose Bowl. Right. So UCLA and USC both used to have their home games at the Coliseum. And, you know, they would switch. It'd be a home game one year for USC and then home for UCLA. And you'd have USC fans on the 50-yard line and UCLA fans on the 50-yard line. And it was just it was a spec, It was was just something special to watch on television. You would see this in L.A. in, uh, you know, late January, usually the Cardinal uniforms going against the blue uniforms and contrasting styles and schools and it was just so much fun it just was a huge part of that tradition that went away when UCLA went to the Rose Bowl and I I think it's I think it's great that Pete Carroll's bringing it back I did agree with you two timeouts might be a little too much to uh to take there I I doubt Rick Neuheitz would want to take two timeouts himself I mean now you're really you're kind of affecting the game especially if you're talking about timeouts in the second half but yeah, I, I, the rule will probably be changed. It's going to be fun to see. Well, I mean, it'll be something to talk about at least before the game. Like, you know, Rick Neuheisel walks out there and just calls timeout right after the kickoff or something. It's going to be kind of fun to see. Well, and that, and that's a class move on it. He doesn't have to do that. I mean, he really he really doesn't. And I mean, that I think it speaks to how what he wants to add to this game. I mean, 
he's he's not stupid. I mean, they're they're a four win team. You know what I mean? And still now people are, you know, like I said, I mean that story was on the front page of Yahoo. It was on the front there was a story on the front page of ESPN.com all day yesterday. It was on PTI. It was around around the horn. I mean, people were talking about it. You know, and that was because, uh, I mean, uh, because of, of, of the timeout issue. And, I mean, but it's still, it's breathing a little life into this rivalry, like I said, when, you know, USC is a 30-point favorite. You know what I mean? And it, it's still, it's it's something, it's a little something extra that's interesting um, in this game. I do think it's cool. I hope that it continues. Um, I, I think it'll look, it'll look neat. And I think it, it speaks to that kind of symbolic battle for L.A. that, you know, I mean, one of the interesting quotes that I thought came out of um, out of Saturday's win over Notre Dame was that, you know, when they, when Ray Maluga and Feely Moala were talking about the Rose Bowl and, and the potential of going there to play Penn State, that they said, at this rate, it, it almost feels like they're home, that that's like a home field for them. You know what I mean? Because of the, the, the success they've had there in the bowl game, you know, obviously um, over the years they've had success at UCLA. Um, not this team per, per se, because they lost there two years ago. But I mean, um, they've had though so much success at the Rose Bowl and and won and won big games there that you know and they're there so often <laughs> that it's like you know it's just like another home game and I think that's cool that they're gonna be wearing their Cardinal jerseys for that. I just think I think it's neat. Yeah, and you bring up a good point with Rick Neuheisel as well. And this is the difference between Carl Durrell and Rick Neuheisel and why Rick Neuheisel is gonna make this team better. I mean, Neuheisel gets it. He wants to be where Pete Carroll is. So if Pete Carroll says, hey, this is a cool tradition, you know, and Rick Neuheisel may like the tradition. He might have wanted to do this himself or he might not have. But he knows if I want to be on the even playing field, I have to look as pretty much I have to look as cool as, as Carroll. This is a cool thing. <laughs> and if Carroll suggested it to Durrell and Durrell's like, no, we got to take care of our business. And I mean, that doesn't look cool. But for Rick Neuheisel to be, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to call my timeout. He's putting himself on an even playing field with Pete Carroll, and that that can hurt. You know, I mean, Pete Carroll is the king oh, of the no. city right now. He's the prince of the city, whatever you want to say. And I think that Rick Neuheisel wants to be there, and he can get there. You know, he can get up there. And there, these, you know, in a couple of years from now, there could be some epic battles between USC and UCLA recruiting wise, and also on the field. And this is kind of that first step to get him going in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the hope. Obviously, um, I, I know obviously Pete Carroll has never shied away from competition. I think he would like to see UCLA get better because, I mean, obviously, I think it would push their team. I mean, it would be one of those things where that this battle for LA would mean so much more. It would mean more, like you said, in recruiting. And obviously, when when they meet, and you know, at the end of the Pac-10 season, um, it would be it'd be epic. I mean, I, I I remember, you know, being from the Midwest or whatever, watching. USC UCLA games, you know, watching guys like JJ Stokes and Keyshawn Johnson and stuff like that, and always feeling that that game had a little more authenticity to it than, you know, the ACC championship or the Big East championship or the big, the other games that are being played this Saturday, games that are more manufactured that I feel are more about money and stuff like that. This is a true rivalry game where the two teams are so close. I mean, you know, guys guys went to high school together. You know, guys have known each other forever. That I mean, it's just such a cool. The game has all of these little these little subplots in it that are just like so. Like I mean, look at the coaching staffs. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, in UCLA, at UCLA, you have Dwayne Walker and Norm Chow. I mean, Pete Carroll knows those guys. Yeah, well. <laughs> really well. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, you look over 
look over at USC and you, you've got Ken Norton. <laughs> you know what I mean? He knows a little <laughs> bit about UCLA. And then, and then you've got players, guys like Mark Tyler, whose dad, you know, played at UCLA. Yeah, there's you a, know lot what of, I mean? it, a lot of it, stuff it, going it, back and forth there. It's, it's it, cool. It, it, makes it, it makes it unique and it makes it cool. And, and New Heisel, like I said, is going to make this a better rivalry. And, and from a fan's perspective, I mean, I, when I went to school here, uh, you know, grow, you know, I'm going to college and get my master's degree and stuff like that. USC was Show losing. Off. USC was losing their rivals every year, you know. And, and it, there was years when USC was better, and they would still lose. And then there was years where USC wasn't as good, and they would still lose. I, I think it's better for even the fans that you know, if if USC is always better than Notre Dame, always better than UCLA, and they're supposed to pound them every year, and they pretty much do, except for the one year, you know, two years ago. I don't know if that's as fun. I think it's better when, you know, a few years ago when Notre Dame came in, I think USC was six and Notre Dame was seven or vice versa, and uh, and USC pounded them. That's more fun. You know, I, I think the fans enjoy that a lot more when the, before the game, at least the game is in doubt, you know. But now the games aren't in doubt, and the only way USC loses is by some historic, colossal upset like 13 to nine a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously I mean it's like kicking somebody when they're down. I'm not as not not as nearly as much fun as just punch them in the face when they're standing upright and ready to hit you back. You know, I mean I think obviously when you when you look at the satisfying wins this year for USC, um, from a fan's perspective, obviously I would think Ohio State is an incredibly satisfying win. Um, I look at Oregon when you know this is a very satisfying win. And I mean, and then you know, at Arizona, I think in Cal, those are the four that that stand out to me as the satisfying wins. Is the wins that the team, you know, where they weren't, it was supposed to be kind of close. You know what I mean? And then with the rest of the games, I mean, yeah, you know, USC dominated Notre Dame. Um, and but I think most people expected that. You know what I mean? It wasn't wasn't a huge. I mean, it was still fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. I mean. You know, it was, that defensive performance was just absolutely almost as close to perfect as they've had all year. But um, it, it just, you know, it's kind of, that wasn't a big surprise. There wasn't any really drama in the game. Um, it was just kind of, okay, you know, the defense said that they were going to try to, you know, annihilate Jimmy Clausen, and, you know, they did. All right. Well, <laughs> and so it's like it was well, just what they said they were going to do. They went out and did it. And, you know, I mean, it didn't have that kind of, that punch. And, and I, I think when, you know, ideally perfect world, um, if Notre Dame and UCLA get their acts together and and become you know become what they were at least in some shell of it, that these last two weeks of the season when when you know when it happens this way, when USC hosts Notre Dame and then goes to UCLA, or you know that that can be such a special thing for a team and and that can really be a huge test, just a monumental test, and and really I think it bring the best out in the Trojans. Yeah, and even if you look at the Auburn-Alabama game, Auburn's not having a great year, but you get credit. Like, Alabama gets a little more credit for playing your rival late. When your rival completely stinks, then you're not going to get much credit. But if, if you know, UCLA or Notre Dame had eight wins, then it's like, oh, you know, they're, they're potential. they have potential. They're the big rival. So it adds more credibility to those late-season games. But, it's a little, but yeah, when, when they're four and seven or whatever, that's, you're not going to get much credit for beating them. But uh, let's move on to another yeah. topic, uh, Vidal Hazelton. I think you were the first guy, Dan, to get quotes from Vidal yesterday. He uh, decided that he was going to transfer, transfer out of USC. So Vidal Hazelton is gone. Uh, kind of give everyone a little update on what's going on with that story. 
Yeah, um, you know, it, it's it's kind of similar to Roger Green's situation in some ways where um, BL, um, like Roger, very close to his grandparents, and um, a couple months ago got word that um, his paternal grandfather um, had been diagnosed with cancer, and, and that was something that was weighing on him a little bit. Um, unlike Roger Green, Vidal also said, though, that he wasn't happy with not playing. And um, he had kind of, when you look at the, the fall that he had um, from being, you know, the top, the returning, top returning rece- uh, receiver from last year's team to a guy who's only caught passes in two games this year. Um, one of them was the season opener where he caught five passes, and he got one at Stanford. I mean, that slide was pretty dramatic. Um, you know, talking to the coaches, um, talking to guys like John Morton, uh, Pete Carroll, and Steve Sarkeesian kind of all said that those guys are just playing better, that Patrick Turner, Ronald Johnson, and Damian Williams had just played better. And that's why they were playing, and that's why they were getting balls. And, I mean, at this point in time, um, when you couple the the sick grandfather with the fact that he wasn't playing, Vidal thought it was best that it was time to move on, that he he'd worked he'd worked at trying to get back in the rotation. He he couldn't crack it, and it was something where he thought it was best for him to try to look back closer to home, um, to move to to go back east somewhere and, and to try to try to finish out his career at a place where where he can catch some passes and play some football. Yeah, and Vidal, uh, you know, from New York, Staten Island, New York. His recruitment, and he was the number two rated wide receiver according to Rivals.com behind. Percy Harvin, if you if you heard of that guy, I think, I think he's still playing somewhere like Florida or something. Yeah. You guys, you guys know who Percy bad. Harvin is. He was ranked right behind him. Um, his father wanted him to go someplace closer to home. He did not want him to go to USC, and that was kind of a, I mean, it was a difficult part of the recruiting process. And I think it started Dexter Hazelton, his his dad, who had a, a letter published. Um, it got out in the internet there a, a couple weeks back. And, and Pete Carroll, they, I mean, I don't think they started off on the right foot, and it just didn't seem to get better. And then when, you know, Vidal got hurt and he started, it was a hard time coming back, and he wasn't making it back onto the field, wasn't getting the rotation. It just seemed to get worse and worse, and it kind of spiraled out of control. And I personally, I didn't think of this could be resolved any other way than, than what happened and him transferring out, which is unfortunate. He's a nice kid, and you'd, you'd hate to see him go, but... Uh, you know, yeah, he's got to do what's best for himself. Well, he's a good football player too. I mean, that, that gets lost in this. That I mean, he really is a good football player. He's a tremendous blocker. Which I mean, how many receivers out there really? I mean, that's kind of an old school trait. Receivers willing, really, to, to go out and block somebody. I mean, that was. Um, I mean, that's how he was playing. I mean, in the in the last uh, last few weeks, was that you know he was on the field as a blocker. And, um, you know, I talked to him about it, and he said that if that was his role, you know, whatever is best for the team. I think, though, at this point in time, he realized that he had to do whatever was best for Vidal at this point. Um, I don't get the sense that anybody on the team really faults him for doing it. Um, I think, you know, Pico said he understands he thinks it makes sense to do it. Um, you know, it was uh, – and from talking to Vidal, you know, it was just one of those things where it, it, it he just felt like this year didn't work out how, it, how he had hoped. I mean, really – um, unfortunate, um, I mean, because I thought he played pretty well against Virginia. You know, he caught five balls. He, he, he looked like he could be maybe um, kind of a guy almost, you know, like where because he, he's a tough physical receiver. And, um, you know, he had gotten hurt. He, uh, he severely sprained an ankle. Um, he had other he had issues with his other ankle. He came back and, he, you know, he had some hamstring issues. He got sick. Yeah, um, you know, he stubbed his toe chasing his dog. Um, <laughs> Very common. You know, injury, I mean, yeah. like, yeah, 
like, you know, you got, you're like, you got a concussion at practice. I mean, really, um, injuries just never really, really get rolling. I mean, I was looking back yesterday doing some research for, for my story, and, um, you know, I came across a Pete Carroll quote, you know, that said, you know, it's really hard to put a guy in a game plan when, when he's not, you know, out here practicing. And you, you, you don't, I think that there's a sense that they couldn't really count on him the same way as they could, you know, guys like Patrick Turner, Damian, and, and Rojo, guys who haven't missed a, a game, um, let alone, I mean, Damian's missed some practices here and there. Rojo's maybe missed one or two practices. But I feel like I think Patrick Turner's practice every day this year. You know, and, I mean, and, and, I mean, those guys are just reliable. Um, you know they're going to be on the field. You know what you're going to get. And I think that that was part of it was, you know, with their lack of willingness to, to give you know, big roles in, in the game plan was that they didn't really know if he was going to be there on Saturday or not. Well, Vidal, I mean, I, I do like him as a blocker. He was also really good yards after the catch. Um, I, I think there, he had a lot of strengths there. And if you look at this receiving core coming in, they obviously underachieved last year i mean fred davis was the top target uh from john david booty but if you had to pick someone that was going to get jumped over i mean everyone i think believed that damian williams was going to be up there in the top two somehow i think a lot of people yeah. thought that it would be you know vidal and damian williams would jump in and patrick turner might be losing reps but you know obviously with all the injuries and stuff and then you know i'm sure having a very vocal father who you know, didn't always say nice things about USC and Pete Carroll. I'm sure that that probably, you know, didn't help it out either, you know, and, and if, if things were questionable, if people were even, maybe, you know, that he would get looked over just because of that, you know, because it was just one of the factors in, you know, he wasn't practicing as much. You know, his, his dad's going out on the internet and, and complaining about us and all this stuff. I, I just don't think all that stuff, all that stuff I think contributed to what ended up being the, you know, the, the ultimate demise of Vidal Hazelton. Yeah, I mean, I asked John Morton about that letter, and he said he didn't even know about it, is what he said. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but uh, another interesting thing he said was that he thought if all things were even this year, if Vidal had been healthy and been getting similar reps to a guy like Damien Williams or Patrick Turner, that he thought Vidal, Vidal's numbers would be the same as those guys. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, well, we'll that, see. Moving he on. wasn't that far behind. He said he wasn't that far behind. But... That's where, I mean, it, it's, when you look at reps and you look at balls and everything like that, it certainly looked like he was that far behind. I mean, really, I mean, the guy caught one pass since the first game, you know? And, I mean, I think he's been thrown to twice. Yeah, it wasn't I like mean, he was I dropping know. a lot of passes or anything. It was... Uh... No, I mean, even when they left... And I think part of it got to the point where... I don't know, this is speculation on my part, on my part but I think a lot of it got to the point where he was running routes and stuff like that, whether it's in practice or... You know, in games, and, and when they would let him run a route, I think he'd get so excited, and he would run this route. I can think of one play against uh, Notre Dame where they actually, you know, he got to run a route. And he looked kind of open, but the ball didn't go his way. And then you kind of see him, I mean, you could kind of see his head hang a little bit and, and stuff like that. I mean, he was really pressing. I mean, he, he wanted to make plays. I mean, he's a competitive, he's a really competitive guy. And, you know, whether it's football, video games, whatever. I mean, like that, like he is a trash talking. I mean, he is as competitive of a guy as there is. And it, it just really, it just wasn't working out for him. All right. Well, moving on, we'll, we'll get more on Vidal Hazleton as things get announced where he decides he wants to go to school. I think he came out, Broderick Green's looked like he's going to end up at Arkansas. So we, you know, we wish him all the best over there. Um, 
Dan, you also wrote about something this week about the team kind of being distracted a little bit. And I just wanted to kind of. Well, the possibility of it, the possibility of it, I guess, was the. I mean, yeah, this is a busy time of year. I mean, um, you think just from a a normal college student standpoint, I mean, finals in itself is is a huge thing. I mean, that's a big weight on anybody's shoulders. So you got finals, all right? You also have for for some guys that this this is their last regular season game as, as you know, a Trojan and a Pete Carroll expressed a little concern that maybe some guys would maybe try to do too much with that final opportunity that they would, that they would push too hard and, and, and get out of the system is that, I mean, there's all the talk about BCS stuff and, and where, where this team should go and where they're going to go. And you look across the field and it's UCLA and it's the battle for LA. There are all these little things that, that kind of take away from what Pete Carroll's, that little that chip away from it being just an, an another championship game for us. It kind of just chips away at it. Each one of those little things, and you know, I think you know, you look at the spread and how much better they're supposed to be. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that that's floating around right now. I do think the team's focused. I do think that they're they're going to handle this well. Um, I think largely because they they earlier this season that they they kind of learned that they, what happens when they don't handle it well, and, and you know, I, I think. The other thing is too is that you know something I asked Pete Carroll during his uh, media lunch was that you know I mean this they struggled coming down you know from an emotional win over Ohio State they struggled with that and and, and kind of rejuvenating themselves for Oregon State even though they had a bye um, here it's you know Notre Dame was an emotional win for a lot of reasons obviously everybody talks you know the rivalry and stuff like that and it being senior night in the final home game. There was a lot of emotion in that game. Clearly, I mean, with the fighting and all that stuff. I mean, that game was dripping with emotion. To, to kind of have to to regather yourself and, and kind of, all right, we have to do this one more time against a team that's going to come out with tons of emotion. I mean, this, this is the season for UCLA at this point. I mean, really, I think I think <laughs> Bruin fans can look at the season almost as um, um, almost as a success when you look at the win over Tennessee a national television, which was a big one for them. And then, you know, they were able to, to muster up and beat USC and knock USC out of the Rose Bowl. I think that's a pretty good year for you, for UCLA, all things considered, you know? Well, yeah, two and, years and, ago, I mean, 13-9, to 9, that game, they put a lot of emphasis on that game, and it pretty much saved Carl Durrell's job. I mean, there's, you know, you, you would think from that point they would have been, you know, they would have been able to take that momentum from winning that game and, do well in their bowl game, and they ended up laying an egg against a really bad Florida State team. I think it was the Emerald Bowl <laughs> up in San Francisco, which just it was more baffling to USC fans because like, how can you you beat USC and then go out and play crappy in California against Florida State, who's flying three thousand miles, and they're terrible, and they still lost. So, I I, I think what, what I want to know, Dan, though, is you know USC lost to Oregon State a couple years ago, and no one wanted to talk about that game you know they're like oh we're, this is a whole nother thing well usc lost to ucla two years ago are they talking about that is there revenge on their mind um yeah you know the, it, it's up i mean they they know what happened and they know um you know they mentioned that they, the game that i've heard brought up more though from talking to guys and granted it's you know i've only talked to guys on monday and tuesday so far is that the game that has been brought up more is this year's oregon state game this is the game that I've heard more about. You know, um, one of the things that Jeff Byers said that I think is true is that <clears throat> if you can't get up 
for UCLA in this city, then you probably shouldn't be playing on either team. If you can't get up for for this kind of rivalry, that I mean, it's that heated that you know. Do I do I think they want revenge? I think they do. Do I think they're going to talk about it though? Probably not. You know, I I I really don't. I mean, I think if you talk to the seniors, if you talk to guys like Kyle Moore and Steven Moala, I think they'd admit that that's important to them. That they remember what UCLA cost them two years ago, and they don't want that that to happen again. I think they I think they would admit that. Now, do I think Mark Sanchez would admit it? No, I don't. Do I think Pete Carroll would admit that that's a point of emphasis? I can I would I would bet everything that he would. Yeah, well, it, should, it should be interesting to see uh, what happens there. I was reading actually the UCLA press release, and you know they talk about uh, you know the, the, the you know the, the team have split their last two games, uh, both winning on their home. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, USC won you know eight out of the last nine or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but but you know, and then they're like they so they said oh, USC and UCLA have split their last two meetings. And since 1980, UCLA has a 14, 13 to one advantage. So it's like they're trying to spin it whatever they can. Like, you know, this is very close. Which uh, it obviously. I, I mean, I, I mean, if you look at this game, you just look at talent. I mean, it, it's so decided right now. I mean, poor Kevin Kraft. I mean, really, like, you got to feel bad for that guy for the game that he's coming off of. You know, where where he throws. Three pick sixes, and then they have a fumble return for a touchdown. I mean, I mean, like unbelievable, and just like you know, I mean, it was to the point where it's just like just watching a guy just get beat into submission. You just like just stop the fight already. Yeah, throw the towel. Throw the towel. You know, and I mean, and it's been like that for him this year. I mean, he's done some good things at times. You know, like obviously against Tennessee. I mean, I know that was a game that we paid a lot of attention to. Um, you for different reasons than me. Um and. uh even though he had but four like, picks, he had four picks in that game. In the first half, yeah. <laughs> and then he came out, and, and he came out and played great football in the second half. I mean, very controlled. I mean, essentially, what they've done is, is it's like they've. He may have started the season with a shotgun, and they've given him a super soaker, or not even like a little water <laughs> at this point. And they said, "This is what you can do." All right. At least that's the impression I've gotten from from watching them. And you know, just just please don't hurt us. And that's no way to play football. I mean, like, but they're they're almost like, okay, we're not going to let you throw it downfield. You know, you're going to throw everything's going to be underneath in short, short controlled routes. I mean, it's not like they can run the ball that effectively either. It, it, it's really, I mean, by all accounts, it should be ugly. You know, I mean, really, it should be. Now, do all those other distractions though? Do the, do they creep in and do they affect what USC does, or does UCLA manufacture this huge wave of emotion? And, and let that carry them. I think those are really the variables in this game. And can you, can USC match that emotion? It'll be interesting to see what happens in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. Uh, we talked about it last segment with Coach Harvey Hyde. I mean, the, the one thing I do think UCLA's defense can give this USC offense fits at times. But I, I just don't see any way for UCLA to be able to protect the football and not give up, you know, not have turnovers run the football, hold the football for a long time and, and keep, you know, keep USC off balance. It's just going to be so hard for them to do that. But even a couple of years ago, you know, it was 13 to nine. They, they didn't expect all that much. They didn't need all that much offense um, from UCLA and they still won that game. Uh, I mean, they could get yeah. a, a whole lot, you know, just not that much offense and win again. 
if that UCLA defense is able to to stymie the USC offense again. And if it does, yeah, I, I give UCLA credit. I and mean, the UCLA defense played as well as they could against Arizona State. And they didn't give up points. The, the offense gave up points. Um, well, that's what I was just going to say, yeah. is that, you know, a great defensive performance might not even be enough here. I mean, they could hypothetically shut out the USC offense and lose. Um, you know, I mean, I think if you give this defense, I mean, that's just so explosive and so good to begin with. If you give them points, still, yeah. I, I don't see how you could win, yeah. honestly. Like, I think I think if USC scores a defensive touchdown, the game's over. I mean, really, because, I mean, that all of a sudden – they're like sharks in, in a way. I'm, I've been full of analogies today, by the way. I don't know what's going on with me. I must have taken some some sort of medicine. Um, <laughs> like it, it's like I think that in, that that first pick six, it's almost like a sack with this defense. I don't know if you've noticed it over the course of the year. Is when they get one, you know, when because they're so competitive, when like Kyle Moore gets a sack or Everson Griffin, like you bet Feely wants one, and then all of a sudden Clay Matthews wants one. They each want to hit the guy harder. You know what I mean? They each want to do something better than the other guy. Um, you know, if Kerry Harris gets an interception, I know Kevin Thomas wants one. Right. You know, and I, or I know Taylor Mays wants to get one. Or if Taylor Mays makes a big hit, I know Ray wants to make a bigger hit. And, I mean, this is something um, in my two-week hiatus, actually, that we didn't get a chance to talk about, is that, I mean, this defense, especially on the line, is so hyper-competitive that even in between plays, they play rock, paper, scissors. She's <laughs> better. I mean, that's how hyper-competitive they are. And, I mean, like, you know, they play for the trophy of, that there isn't even a trophy, even you know, it's not even. There's there's nothing on the line, but they still want to do that. Imagine how they are when someone it matters, when it's football. You know what I mean? I mean, so I think if they get that one play on defense, that one big play, especially if it comes early, watch out. It's true. That's that is not good for the Bruins no. because this defense is hungry and they're mean and and they all want to do. They all want to one up each other, which is really dangerous when you. <laughs> when you know you're making a mistake early in the game, if you, you know, it's not like I don't, I don't get the sense that this defense ever gets really complacent. No. They just keep doing better. All right, all right, Dan. Well, that's uh, we we got you on for like a little extra time today since you haven't been on the last couple of weeks. And uh, well, I appreciate that. My, no I'm sure my my fans, my fans, and by my fans, I mean both my parents will appreciate that. Right? Yeah, I'm sure most people have tuned out by now. But you know, for your parents. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Waikie, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. You're the only two people still listening. <laughs> no, everyone else, thank you guys very much. Dan, thank you for joining us. And uh, we will talk to you. Again, yeah, we'll talk to you again next week and get your thoughts on you know when the regular season concludes. All right, sounds good, Rob. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for this for listening to us on this week of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week wrapping up the USC Trojan regular season, and looking forward to what looks like it should be a bid to the Rose Bowl. So stay tuned for that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.